Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. As a player, he represented the likes of Scotland, the Bulls and Glasgow, but it's been as a coach where he's really stamped his mark on the game of rugby. The mastermind behind the Springboks powerhouse pack in their 2019 World Cup winning campaign before taking over as England's forwards coach. My guest on Inside the Game, Matt Proudfoot. Welcome to the show and a massive welcome to Matthew Proudfoot uh, over in Cape Town. Matt, uh, yeah, great to have you on board. Hi Derek, how are you doing? I'm excellent, thank you. Uh, how are things your side? Yeah, just uh, strange strange times, Derek. You know, had to get home from London. Uh, couldn't quite finish the, the Six Nations, so we had to get. I had to get home, uh, take care of the family, be here for the family during, during these tough times. Um, but I must say, uh, Eddie's kept us quite busy, uh, really looking at our game and uh, trying to analyse where we can improve. So it's been a busy time, but uh, really enjoying this opportunity. I think it's been a really crazy 12 months for me. So it's given me a bit of a chance to reflect on the past 12 months. Yeah, well, let's let's reflect even further. First first up, uh, a clack store boy and a product of Pochevstrom High School. Some, some impressive alumni at Pochevstrom High. Uh, Protea, Eddie Lee, Olympian, Safis and Klabu, Ezekiel Sepeng. One that really stands out for me, I don't even know if you're aware of this, the founder of Parkrun, Paul Sinton Hewitt, CBE. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, so... Yeah, it was a crazy little school, a uh, little English school uh, in Poch. It was definitely a, a tough place to play rugby. Yeah. But uh, it was a good, good place to grow up and to, you know, those, those uh, good boarding schools, English boarding schools. It was a good place to grow up. Uh, talk us through your, your playing career. I won't harbour too much on that. As mentioned, it's, it's really in coaching where you've made a name for yourself. But you did go on to, to play four test matches for Scotland. Yeah, I was, um, as I said, played most of my rugby in Poch and then went to, went to Picker, you know, um, the, the local varsity. Uh, from there, ended up playing for the Bulls, and we were on tour, uh, on a Super Rugby tour when it was the Northern Bulls at that stage. In, and we played a couple of te- games in Scotland and a couple of games in Wales, and somehow uh, there was the Scottish side. I found out that I had Scottish ancestry with my grandfather, and uh, they offered me an opportunity to play for them, and I stayed for six years. You know, it was really just growing up with a with a very procurial Scottish grandfather, I, I got to experience the then foundations and that was my rugby memories, you know, sitting watching rugby with my grandfather and listening to the likes of Bob McLaren commentate and, you know, really got to understand, you know, what the other side of the, the equation was about. And uh, my cousin had played uh, county cricket and uh, when I had the opportunity to play there, I just, you know, thought it was an opportunity to do things differently, you know, just really experience my career and, and grow. You know, it was the, the start of professional rugby and 
I suppose to do it your own way was the excitement for me and I ended in Scotland and I just loved the experience, you know, being being there, I was a typical big South African forward that had to go from playing a very high game to, to understanding what it was to play at a very low level, you know, play close to the ground. The coach then was Jim Telfer and it was just a really special experience for me to, to be able to experience that. No question that these days, if you've got any links to uh, being able to, to represent a, a foreign team, uh, players tend to examine going that route. Back then, um, given the links to your, to your grandfather, your uh, paternal links, um, was that an option growing up? I mean, did you ever consider going to play for Scotland or was it just a, a happy accident when you were touring? No, it was a happy accident. As I said, oh, we we played it in Scotland, eh? Um, and I just had an unbelievable game. And somehow one of the administrators walked up to me afterwards and chatted to me about it. And I think one of the ex-players or one of the players who was standing there said, yes, he's, you know, they always joked with me about it and said, yeah, his grandfather's Scottish. And so they spoke to me and then the next day we were at the hotel and they rocked up at the hotel wanting to have a chat to me. And I phoned home and spoke to my dad and, you know, he he was of the, the conversation, you know, opportunities arrive in life and, you know, you don't know why they arrive, but take advantage of it. And you know, I delayed my trip home and uh, went and explored Arthur and flew home, packed up my stuff and that was history, as they say, you know. So it was just, it was a chance happening, you know. I think I was the only person to play against Scotland and for Scotland within a month. So it was quite a quite a whirlwind uh, experience for me. How does a, a conversation like that take place? Because you had no idea when they they, they rocked up to your hotel. And, and do they straight out say, listen, we want you to come play for us. We know that there is a link. We can make it happen. And uh, yeah, do you want to make it happen? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, the game of rugby brings people together, you know, it's, uh, and they said, you know, would you, would you, would you consider something like that? And I was, I maybe had a few whiskeys too many and I joked and said, yes, you know, and then didn't realize that they'd be rocking up on an early Sunday morning at a team hotel in Glasgow, you know, so that was quite an experience for me. But um, I'd heard of, of Jim Telfer when the, the 97 Lions toured and, and he was the forwards coach. He actually coached us. At the, we were at the Bulls, and he did a, a scrumming session with us. So I knew the man, and and um, he was—he's just an ignatic, you know, energizing man and coach. And he was one of the best forwards coaches I've ever experienced. So I think just that whole experience really, you know, wanted me to to just be there to be part of it. You know, so uh, I think you've got to move out of your comfort zone to grow. Growing isn't an easy project, and it's. I just wanted to experience something different, and when the opportunity came, I grabbed it. Jim Telfer, the producer of that iconic This Is Your Everest speech uh, that he delivered uh, to the British Correct, and Irish yeah. Lions back in 1997. Now, um, as mentioned, you played the four tests, um, uh, two of which came up against the Wallabies, and uh, that meant that you, you went up against the Wallaby Lucid at the time, Richard Harry. Um, what Richard was that Harry. experience like? And, and, and I mentioned Richard Harry because... He's got quite a, a checkered past with uh, South African fans. Uh, if I recall, it was Vickers van Heerden, who was banned for 18 months at the time, which effectively ended his rugby career for, for biting Harry. And a lot of the Sharks players, I remember afterwards, said that, that Harry bore absolutely no marks whatsoever on his hand, which is where he said that, that van Heerden went and bit him. Yeah. Um, what was he like? Well, I suppose you didn't really get to 
bond with them too much, but uh, as a scrummage and a, and a person. Yeah, they had an unbelievable pack at that stage, you know, Richard Harry, Phil Kearns, Daly, um, uh, Garrick Morgan, uh, John Eels, Owen Finnegan, you know, uh, that was an unbelievable pack of forwards. It was unbelievable. Timmy Horan and, um, and, and uh, Little were in the centres. So it was an unbelievable sight, you know, to, to play your first test match against a team like that. I just remember that, you know, after the test, I couldn't walk. I was so tired, you know. It was just, <laughs> my, my roommate still said to me, no, we've got to go and celebrate your first test match. And my roommate was was uh, Gregor Townsend at the stage. And I said, no, Tuni, I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm going to bet. You know? <laughs> so I just remember that uh, I just put everything into every scrum and just scrummed as hard as I could for, you know. And I suppose that's, as a, as a young prop forward, that's how you, you try and start your career by picking something you do well and just doing it as well as what you can. And I figured, you know, I was the biggest guy on the side and I was picked for scrummaging and I just scrummed as hard as I could. So I suppose that, you know, gave me a real sense of accomplishment that it was such a good side that I, that I made my debut against. Matt, for the layman out there, and there are many, can you briefly explain the difference between a tight head and a loose head? It's still... One of those very much uncharted areas where fans don't really know too much about. Uh, Kitch Christie famously, there's a quote always famously attributed to him when he was asked, who's the number one player that you pick and who's the second? And he said, tight head and then reserve tight head. Uh, I mean, it's a thankless role that uh, really I don't think gets given enough credit. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a tough position. Uh, just technically in the scrum, uh, you you always scrummaging against two people where the lucid scrummages against the lucid's got the hooker the hook and the lucid are together and they scrum against the tight end so the tight end has to be able to handle that pressure and he's the guy who's in the middle of your lineup normally he sets your maul he, he builds the scrum platform your go forward ball starts at the set face so he's he's the guy that's literally got to take you those first couple of inches forward and, and everything else builds from there but you know, if you remember what um, uh, Craven said about it, the tight head has to be like a piece of burbles. <laughs> he has to have a little bit of pig, pig in him. You know, so <laughs> you, you need to you need to be tough uh, personally. You need to be uh, prepared to to handle adversity. Um, you know, the only way I can explain it is, is in a scrum. If if you're busy being drilled by your opposition lucid, and I, I played against a hell of a lot of good lucids and and you try and shift and move inside to the channel, you meet a hooker, and a hooker is that ugly person who, who keeps the tight head honest, you know, and I played against one of them in James Dalton, and, and, and that's the type of people you're playing against. Now, you can imagine scrumming against the James Dalton and an, and an Austin Wright, you know, you, there's not much room to, to maneuver there, you know, and, and, and that's what it is to play a tight head, is you've got massive personalities like that confronting you, and you, you have to find it in yourself to, to confront that, you know. So you do you do the donkey work, you you do you do the stuff that nobody wants to see, but but you know your teammates they get to rely on you, and I suppose that's the that's the big difference. You know, Luce tends to be the flashier one, the one who likes to carry the ball and run with the ball, and um, you know. But they they're interesting people, you know. They're very. I believe that every position in the scrum or in the pack is a different person. You know, different. You you meet them and and you say. You know, okay, that's why Peter Steff is a blindside flank, or that's why Dwayne is an eighth man, or you know, you you get to understand their personalities and how they fit those positions that those positions require, 
So I think a Titan is a special, special breed. You know, that's why uh, Francois Haber was so so good as a Titan, or is so good. He's, he's just that type of a person. Toughest lucid you came up against as a player? Gary Pagel. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how often that name comes up. And uh, you're certainly not the first, and you won't be the last to mention his name. Um, oh, he was incredible, yeah. Moving over to coaching. So you transitioned uh, to a coach and uh, was it something you, you actively seeked out or again, was it a, a happy accident just by lieu of the fact that you were so experienced in the game of rugby? Yeah, I returned uh, from the UK and um, I was busy in the building business and I was playing a bit of rugby back at, at Pika and uh, Andre Marcroft was, was running the Pitt Rugby Institute and and they were looking for a coach and he walked up to me on the field and said, would I be interested? And I studied sports science. So I think somewhere in my, my mate I wanted to, to be involved in the game and, and uh, you know, thought about it. And I, I suppose because it was completing the circle for me, going, going back home to, to my alma mater and to coaching them again, it was an easy transition. Um, Probably some of the one of the best five years I've had of my life was coaching the the Pitt Rugby Institute. It was a bunch of young guys who, who just really wanted to improve and enjoyed the game, and it was a very good university and uh, worked with some very very good people uh, at at Pitt Rugby. Um, so I suppose the, my my baptism into coaching was was really made easier by by the environment I was in. And, uh, I must say it's, it was like you know, finding a place where you've always felt comfortable. So I've just really enjoyed coaching uh, since I, since, ever since I started. So, so you rose through the ranks and uh, eventually uh, getting the call up to, to the Springboks along with a man who you'd worked uh, closely alongside for, for many, many years and Alistair Kutsier who took over as Springbok coach back in 2016. And, and Alistair was someone who'd worked alongside over at Western Province, the Stormers, um, over at Steelers in Japan. And yeah, it was a, uh, a fairly tumultuous reign uh, under Alistair. His two-year reign, I think, ending with a 44% winning record. Not the greatest. It included those record losses uh, to the All Blacks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it must have been, on one hand, thrilling to be involved with the Springboks, but on the other, um, not so great suffering these mammoth losses. Yeah, Alistair is one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. You know, um, Just an incredible human being in it and a good coach, a really, really good coach. I think the tough thing that, that we had was the fact that post after the 2015 World Cup, using so much leadership out of the side. Um, you know, then the 30 cap rule being in place that we couldn't select players from overseas. So the, 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 the team we, we got in 2016, I, I think that put us on the back foot, you know. And, 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 and I must say that I thought 2017, he did a fantastic job in turning it around building some very, very good, a very good core to that side um, and exposing a lot of players to, to international rugby. You know, the, the team that coached in 2017 uh, with Alistair, uh, Brennan Fenter, um, myself, Johan von Kron and um, Franco Smith was, you know, was really um, an enjoyable experience to coach with the four of them. Um, very good people with a good, good team culture. But unfortunately, you know, we weren't successful. And that's at international level the, that needs to happen. You need to, you need to produce success. And, and we understood that as coaches. And I think more so Alistair understood it, that you need to be successful as an international coach. It doesn't matter 
about your system. It doesn't matter about your product. The, the country, and we understood the country demanded success. And, uh, you know, I know he, he, he carried that, that very, very heavily. Uh, um, it wasn't something he sat well with. He's a, he's a massive Springbok supporter. Um, he, he loves the Springboks. And I know it hurt him. Those losses hurt him. The loss to the All Blacks, the game, the game against the Irish, those are the big ones that he really, really felt. You know, if you saw him after the, after the victory, people, he had incredible poise about him. But when he closed his, his bedroom door and when I was often there, he, he felt it. You know, you could see it. It, it really hurt him to, to let the team produce performances like that. And, and I suppose he, he did the honourable thing is that he stood and took responsibility for that, you know, which is what you, you want from your Springbok coach. So, so Rassi comes into the breach. What was the communication like from SA Rugby with regards to your position uh, when Rassi came into the fold? Well, I think that it was a tough situation. You know, Alistair's scenario had to be dealt with first, you know. So um, I just continued doing my job. Um, and then Rassi and I had a conversation, must have been in about April um, of that year. Uh, so part of my job description was to assist uh, the varsity cup teams and and provincial sides go around helping uh, coaching them and and then he he said to me that he would want to keep me involved so um, you know I didn't want to create more issues you know when you have a transition you know the boss that comes in has got to determine the way he wants his system to go so I just sat quietly doing my job and and when he called me he said this is what I want from you and um, you know Rusty was the guy who brought me to to Cape Town to to work with the Stormers so. We'd had a good relationship and it was quite easy working with him. Um, you know, I understood where I stood with him and, and what he wanted. He was very clear in what he wanted. And I, he said, I asked him what he wanted. He said, I want a dominant pack, you know. So that was an easy job for me to do. I knew what I had to do. And, and once it started, uh, you know, I had good clarity about what he wanted and, and, and how he wanted. So, you know, you know, I think he is a great coach. He, he knows what he wants to do. He's got his own particular... Um, system that he likes and uh, and he coaches a very specific pattern and, and it's very successful. Coming in with uh, a mere 18 months to go before the World Cup, wanting a dominant pack and that's exactly what you produced for him over those 18 months. We all know how that story ends, ending with that phenomenal victory over in Japan and it must have been incredible for a forwards coach to, to work with the likes of Tendam Tarira. Trevor Nyakane, Franz Mulhaber, Steve Kitsoff, Vincent Cocker, to name but a few in the engine room. Also, of course, we've got the second rowers like the Archeus Neymans and, and Eben Etzebeths. Uh, I mean, that period over in Japan, building up to the final against England, um, did, did, you must have realised ages prior that you are certainly working with a very, very special pack here. Yeah, no, that we, we knew that, you know, and a lot of the, the pack... Um, I, I'd worked with at the Stormers, you know, Stephen, France, um, Bongi, Eben, Peter Steff, Sia, you know, Dwayne, Flo, they'd all come through through the Stormers. And, uh, you know, I, I'd known these guys for 10 years, 12 years. So I knew the talent they had. But what, what impressed me was midway through 2018, we, we really created a, a focal point about the scrum and, and wanted the, the scrum to to really be a, a platform we could play off. Uh, because World Rugby had, the the mall has been under pressure in, in World Rugby. Um, and, and, and South Africa needs a strong mall. 
So we knew we had to build something behind that, and, and we started with the scrum. And what impressed me was, I think we had about eight props and three hookers at that stage working, and how they all just contributed. You know, they would they would sit, and you know, behind those guys, you had uh, Thomas the Toy, you had Kuni, that were just sitting constantly, Wilco giving positive feedback, positive input, positive input. You know, they were talking about binding with each other, and, and I stood there, and, and, and I knew, you know, that was special. You got the likes of Stephen. Who's you know arguably one of the one of the best young tight in the world, and then you've got a guy like Beast backing him up. But Stephen and Beast were working so well together, and that's where I knew there was something special amongst them is that they wanted each other to be successful. So every training session was was incredibly tense, and um, but but yet very very positive. There was never once that there was it got nasty with the guys. You know, a lot of times you've been in in, in training sessions with forwards and two packs get get it stuck into each other. The guys got stuck in physically, but there was never um, uh, an ego thing. It was always, you know, how can they make each other better? So I knew that that whole work ethic that those guys had would pay off with each other. And culminating in that final match in Yokohama, and I mean, if you look back at our iconic performances from certain players over the years, uh, particularly when it comes to front row performances, um, you look back at uh, Antirira's performance against the British and Irish Lions in, in 2009, and, and you've got to look ahead uh, again to, to 2019. Mm. Um, a phenomenal from, from Beast, and again, from, from the, the rest of the pack. And uh, a lot of people surprised at the box's game plan, expecting a, a complete 10-man effort with lots of kicking. Of course, that wasn't the case, but again, it was all built on the back of that highly impressive pack of forwards. Yeah, and I think, you know, where the game changed a little bit was when we watched England play the All Blacks. You know, we knew that we had to change something up. We had to do something different. Um, the way that they played against the All Blacks was just probably the, the most total rugby performance that I've ever seen. And and we knew if we weren't at our best, we were in trouble. Um, so so I, I suspect every player just put that little bit extra in that whole week's preparation um, and, and knew that we had to get our game going. You know? um, I knew the Wednesday's domination, uh, I said to Rossi, you know, these guys are ready. You know? uh, Rossi and I went for a haircut, I think it was that Wednesday or Thursday together. And he said to me, how do you feel? I said, no, I think we're ready. I think I've never seen a pack so ready for a game before. And, and, and I think, you know, when you watch the way your opposition had played, you knew, you know, and, and that's, that's, what you can expect from a World Cup final is, is, is you know, both teams were, you know, if you looked at the, the probably the top four teams, the All Blacks, England, um, South Africa and Wales, you see that they were the four best teams at the tournament and, and they all played really, really well in, in the semi-final and then the final. Our game against Wales was, was incredibly tough. It was, out of all the games we played, it was probably the toughest game uh, and we knew if we didn't up it again, for the final, we would have been in trouble. Well, I know that you're an extremely busy man, so let's move on to your latest role. How soon after that World Cup final victory did you get the call-up from, from Eddie Jones, and, and how hard was it to, to leave your beloved box and uh, move over to the UK? Um, oh, we just got home after the, after the trophy tour, um, I think it was we got home on the Sunday and, and it was the Wednesday. Uh, my phone rang and um, it was Eddie, you know. I first thought someone was playing a joke on me. And, <laughs> and, 
he chatted and he asked me, you know, what am I doing? And I, I, I didn't really know. I didn't have an, a, an agenda post the World Cup. Um, so I, he, he, he wanted to know what my plan was. And I said, well, I don't. He said, well, why don't you come and talk to me? So I got on a flight and I flew over um, and I sat and I spoke to him. And before I left, I told Rusty the same thing. I said, listen, I've had this call from Eddie and I'm going to go and talk to him. He said, no, go and do it. And um, I flew over, I think it was that next Tuesday or whatever. Flew over, spent a couple of days there. And then I flew back and sat and had a meal with Eddie and had a chat. And he spoke to me about his vision and and I shook his hand afterwards. And and, and I want I knew I wanted to be part of it. You know, um, if you meet the man, he's a, he's a dynamic individual. Uh, he doesn't sleep very much. He's constantly pushing and driving a team forward. He he looks at every aspect of your of his team and wants it to improve. Um, and and he's got a vision of where he wants the game to go, not just his game, where he wants the game of rugby to go. And and he feels he's he, he's coaching his team is part of that evolution of the game. So he's trying to evolve his team and the game. Um, and and I just wanted to be part of that whole experience. Is, uh, you know, he sold me within five minutes of talking to him. I was sold, and, and he explained to me what he wanted from me, and we could see me growing too. And and we have daily conversations. He's sitting in Japan, and you know, he's got me working on projects to improve as a player, uh, improve, improve as a coach, uh, improve as a you know member of the England management. And um, you know, I can understand why why he's so highly rated. Is, is if you work with him and you understand. What is about you, you you know you've got to be at your best if you want to be part of this team you're taking over from neil hatley and uh, steve borthwick uh, borthwick redeployed as skills coach before uh, expected move to leicester i mean you're effectively filling the role of, of two men uh, who previously filled that role i mean that must be a massive feather in your cap uh, doing so within the england ranks and and also are you excited at the talent at your disposal coming from the brute force of the springboks of course i think if we think of other teams that could potentially match South Africa physically. England's always been there or thereabouts. And uh, yeah, one one that certainly must, must stand out is, is that of Mara Itoje. Yeah, he's an incredible individual. Um, I must say I prefer coaching, you know, both platforms scrum line up more. I don't, I, I don't like to split them. Uh, so I, I, I'm quite thankful that, that Eddie gave me both roles. Um, and when I had my discussion with Eddie, I, I think the the preparation for playing England, you know, we played them, I think, four times in 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 the build-up to the World Cup, and you know, each time was was harder than the previous one, and and, and, and their pack impressed me, and, and you know, I don't think there's a better line-out forward coach than than Steve Borthwick. Uh, so to to be part of to learn what he's done there, to be part of that, and to be part of the player group, you know, uh, Tom Curry, incredible player. Um, I think they've got incredible forwards, uh, Luke Cowan, Dickie, Jamie, George up front in the front row. Joe Marler is an unbelievable, you know, he, I see a lot of similarities between him and Beast. Um, you know, then they've got Marrow uh, in, in, in the second row, uh, who is an incredible individual, you know, just if you meet him, you talk to him, see the way he thinks about the game, the way he thinks about his game, how he improves, how, how, how seriously he takes his game. It's just a, a pleasure to work with people like that, you know. So I must say that was another aspect of why I knew when I spoke to Eddie that I wanted to be part of this environment.
Oh, well, Matthew, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I know you're extremely busy. Enjoy the rest of your lockdown as much as one can. Uh, stay indoors, stay safe, and uh, best of luck for your future within the, the English rugby side. It's my pleasure, Derek, and thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Derek. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media. 